What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Just call me Swanee. Finally, Clemson Sports Talk has come back to drive time. Hello, everybody. Lawton Swan back in the saddle. Once again, it is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk for you each and every afternoon as you make your way around the great state of South Carolina and beyond, listening to us on spectacular radio stations like Fox Sports Radio 1400 in the Midlands, Sports Radio 100.1, The Fan in Florence, 920 AM, The Fan in Manning, The Midlands, The PD, and The Low Country. We're, we're, we're coming for you upstate. Don't worry. 803-450-0086. That is your text line. That is currently your phone line while we are still continuing to do the show from the Palatial 108 Studios with the backdrop of some of the Clemson memorabilia through the years, like the national championship clock from the 1981 season, the banner from uh, Clemson's trip out to Arizona, some other uh, some other stuff, including to the left, the 1987 and 1988 Barnwell Warhorses, the state champs. Sorry to anybody who went to Pageland, but that's just the fact of the matter. Uh, but it kind of leads us to our question today, which we've got for you. And I want to encourage you to chat while watching the show. Here's why. If you don't do that, then from from my standpoint, what I end up having to do, oddly enough, is go in and kind of search out your, your comments. But I saw a fantastic post over on Twitter today from a guy named Ben Upton. Now, you might not know Ben Upton. You may know Kate Upton. You may know Ben Affleck. But this is Ben Upton. Ben hosts a show called the uh, 11.7 Podcast. It's a college baseball podcast. And, and he put out a tweet that asked and posed the question of who is the, 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 the most famous alumni or alumnus. Those two, they always kind of get me, right, uh, of your high school. And so I reached out to him. I'm trying to get him on the show still. I, I, I just saw it like literally 45 minutes before we went on the air. And I thought, man, during this time, what a great topic. Because we've talked with, you may recall, over the past few weeks, several members of the media and, and former athletes and kind of dived into or peeked in behind the curtain of their lives in sports. And some of the things that have come up along the way are maybe not just people who were at their high school, but people who uh, lived in their area growing up. And, and one example, a, a prime example, in my opinion, of that was our conversation that we had with Tom Luganbill. And, of course, Tom Luganbill 
got into the, the, that conversation and mentioned and brought up the name of uh, legendary and and I, I guess world famous uh, world famous skateboarder Tony Hawk being somebody that he grew up around. So that's kind of you know it's one of those things that it, it sort of struck me and made me think. So and I, I've seen some people already reaching out to us. My my buddy Mark Childress apparently graduated from the same high school as Ted Turner. That's right, the Superstation, WTBS, uh, Turner Classic Movies, TNT, uh, man with CNN. I don't, I don't know what all Ted's the Atlanta Braves. I, it, that's a, that's a tough one. I, like I, I know there are a lot of other great ones out there, and I'm sure there are a lot of great people that many of you have uh, either a known perhaps when you were in high school, or b know they came through your high school. But nothing like having a guy like Ted Turner, who's had so much success in life. Uh, be somebody now the question becomes if you could get your hands on that old yearbook was he listed as most likely to be successful or was he listed as the class clown I I won't say which one I was listed as but I'll let you uh, take the 50-50 shot on that front so text us 803-450-0086 who is the most famous person who is a a, a graduate or an alumni from your, your high school we'd love to read some of those here on the air today and uh, again, from from my standpoint, you know, and I look back, if you clearly said from the athletic accomplishment standpoint, and, and I'm guessing that some of my uh, my peers and contemporaries from my hometown may have plenty to argue on this front, but I, I think from the athletic perspective, the most famous name that that I can recall is is still Shelley Hammonds, I, and for some people. You know that might not be a, a huge name, but let me tell you a little bit about Shelly Hammonds. Shelly Hammonds was a part of uh, my high school's uh, championship football teams, a championship baseball team, and ultimately would go on to play at, at Penn State. And perhaps for uh, the latter part of maybe two decades or more, maybe nearly twenty-five years, uh, his performance against Boston College. Now he played defensive back. But Joe Paterno and, and Penn State had some injuries. And so they knew that, that Shelly Hammonds had been a had been a running back in high school. And so they just thought, hey, you know what? We'll give this kid a shot this week against Boston College and if they needed him. And they ended up needing him. And he comes in and he rushes for 208 yards in essentially a half of football. And sets the sophomore rushing record for... Uh, a half and maybe a game actually in a half in 208 yards at that time. And there was a, another 40 or 50 yards that got taken off by a, a block in the back. And so it's one of those, you know, just Shelly Hammonds breaking in the open field. Shelly Hammonds uh, just running away from guys in the, the conversations that were taking place about this, this sophomore from Barnwell, South Carolina and the job that he was doing that day for Penn state and Shelly would, go on uh, to a, a short career in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings. He may have bounced around a little bit more than that, but uh, I was talking to my buddy Jonathan Reynolds the other day. He asked me, he said, what do you know about Shelly Hammonds? They're talking about this Shelly Hammonds kid on this Penn State uh, football game I'm watching, you know, with the time that everybody's got. Reynolds is apparently digging into 1989, 1990 Penn State football games for some unknown reason. But I said, man, let me tell you, it's the best best athlete I think that's ever come through you know, my hometown. So give us your thoughts on that. You can write us uh, and, and message us. We'd love to see those, and I'll try to get to them coming up a little bit later here in the program. But 
that is one of the big topics du jour. Uh, who is the, the greatest athlete? Maybe we can even stretch it to the most famous graduate from your school. I guess it doesn't have to be an athlete. And in fairness, Ted Turner uh, would not, I guess, qualify if I had said athlete. So that's a good point. Now, from the community sense, from the area, now if you talk national and local, there are some other big names that uh, come from you know my hometown at least and a couple of those would be uh, in the state government uh, when you look over at uh, the the South Carolina state capitol right now you've got the strong excuse me you've got the uh, Saul Blot building and you've got the Edgar uh, Allen Brown building right there side by side behind the state capitol and both of those gentlemen were from my hometown so Edgar's bar at Clemson if you know that one from back when it existed in the uh you know, in the Loja Student Center area over there, at, you know, Edgar Allen Brown Student Center, I think it was called, in fact. But if you go over there, that's, that's a guy from my hometown. And then they had the Barnwell Ring where they had the governor, it was Governor Harley, the Senate pro temp, and the uh, Speaker of the House were all from that little, that, that, my, my neck of the woods, so to speak. But on a national scale. Probably the godfather of soul, James Brown, allegedly was born sort of in the Barnwell uh, County area, and I, I don't believe would have graduated from Barnwell High School, obviously, because of his age. But from my hometown, uh, it would have to be would have to be James Brown, I think. But if you talk about graduates, if you talk about from your high school, I, I don't think there's been a bigger name. I mean, that I can remember, and maybe there were some that were older, and nobody that I can think of uh, out of the gates that had a major professional. Career, you know, Obviously, Mookie Wilson was from Bamberg right nearby, and there have been several others, uh, some of the Chavis guys from over in at uh, South, excuse me, at Sil- Silver Bluff High School would have been uh, potentially some big names. But who is that guy? Who is that lady? Who is the person that is uh, perhaps the most famous graduate from your high school? And I'll even allow you to stretch it into uh, who is that uh, person just from the standpoint of the area, your neck of the woods, so to speak. Would love to get your thoughts on that. 803-450-0086. Like, I can't imagine being somebody, you know, there was a video and I actually posted on my personal Facebook page, and this is a, probably a, a prime example of exactly where this topic maybe even kind of comes from was a video of Kobe Bryant being interviewed after one of the Los Angeles Lakers games where they were taking on the Philadelphia 76ers back in his hometown. And his former high school point guard, who is now working at the news, local news channel, was sent in to interview Kobe and and kind of caught Kobe off guard a little bit. I think he posed the question. He said, who's the, uh, yeah, who's the, who's the best point guard you ever played with? And so Kobe looks at the guy and then immediately recognizes, oh, this is you know my, my buddy who was my point guard. And then it must have been a night to celebrate Kobe because a lot of their former players uh, were there. And it was amazing because they, they were all talking about how whenever people find out that they went to Lower Marion High School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, they go, oh, did you know Kobe? Did you play with Kobe? Would Kobe know who you are? And they're, so their whole existence because of that tie, has been sort of wrapped around Kobe Bryant uh, to a degree. And so I just find it, I find it a, a little bit fascinating 
<laughs> James Brown would be one. Bill Bellamy. Casey chimes in. Bill Bellamy, the uh, comedian. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know where Bill Bellamy's from, but that's a that's a pretty good one. But I, you know, if you're if you're somebody who's from a town like that, where you know maybe it was Kobe Bryant or you know, maybe Shaquille O'Neal uh, was at your high school, like I can't imagine what the the fanfare and feelings would have been like around Shaq when he was coming up in Dallas and. You're sort of, you're you're sort of not necessarily awestruck, but you recognize that this guy's got a level of talent that can get him to the next level, that can potentially take him to the NBA, to the NFL, and it's also funny because when we talk and interview with guys about these very same things, a lot, you know, one of the the, the things that comes up is either a somebody in their life recognized early on that they had the talent to get to uh, college or the pros, or B, they recognized it in themselves while they're out on the field sort of saying, ooh, I'm, you know, maybe not out loud, but going, ooh, I'm, I think I'm a, a little bit better than my contemporaries. And so, of course, it's, again, a conversational aspect of, your life and where you grew up and who you knew or who had come through prior to you as well. And, and, and I think sometimes in those cases, it's certainly beneficial for you. Uh, I, you can look no further than Shaq Lawson. And again, Shaq Lawson for 99.9% of America, probably a name that very few people would know. But the former Clemson Tiger, because of his ability to get to the NFL and play with the Buffalo Bills and now with the Miami Dolphins, was able to give back to his community a beautiful scoreboard uh, for the Central Recreational Department, I believe it was, a couple of years ago and really did it up nice with the purple and orange, really a cool Clemson feel for those guys and uh, something that, you know, if you have somebody with that type of star power from your backyard, their influence can be felt. And they can, I don't want to say single-handedly, but they can, in some respects, make a lot of positive changes in the community uh, that maybe impact not just one generation, but but multiple generations on that front. 803-450-0086, your most famous uh, high school graduate. Uh, and maybe some, you know, if it's somebody I don't know and you bring it up, maybe you could coach me up on it. You can also text us. That's a great way, 803-450-0086. So we've got several people chiming in via the text line. John says J.D. Fuller was a graduate of Clinton High School. Now, I got to tell you, John, I don't know the name J.D. Fuller, but it looks like he was a former South Carolina football player, potentially. Maybe even a track star. I'm trying to dig on J.D. Fuller. See, this is one of those examples where maybe the most famous guy from your hometown is is not, you know, it's like Shelly Hammonds. You guys didn't know Shelly Hammonds from, you know, from Adam. You'll, you'll know who that is. 
But in my hometown, that's a name. If if you go, if there's like a like a, I, I bet you're from Barnwell. If and that question comes up, who's the best football player you've ever seen play? They're going to be a handful of names that are going to come up, and Shelly Hams is going to be one of them. I guarantee you. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. So J.D. Fuller was apparently a linebacker at South Carolina, according to John, listening to the program in Archdale, North Carolina today. Clinton High School's own J.D. Fuller. So see, now I've got homework to do. I, I wanted this to be a topic, a topic for, for, for fun. Now I've got to work. I mean, but if you had a guy like Tom Brady at your high school when you were growing up, I mean, can you imagine just being one of his buddies from high school? You're at the local McDonald's sucking back chocolate milkshakes with Tom. You, you probably called him Thomas. He probably wasn't even Tom. Hey, Thomas, what's going on? Who do you think about taking it to the prom? 25 years later, he's the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL, and all you're doing is still sitting there sucking back that big old chocolate milkshake. Yeah. For some of you, there have been some big names come through your high school. I'm going to check every form that the show was posted in. I'm going to check every conversation uh, that we can because a lot of times people don't click on the video before they chat, and then I don't see it. And normally, you're probably going, this guy, this Swanee guy, this guy is so stuck up, guys. I comment on his show all the time. I say something underneath his little post. He never recognizes what I, what I say. This guy's a jerk. You want to know who the biggest jerk is from Barnwell High School? It's that Swanee guy. Because <laughs> he doesn't ever answer my... If you click on the video and watch the show and then post, it should come to me. This is all hypothetical. <laughs> it does work. It, it normally works. I, I, I say a little prayer every day before the show that it will work. And so uh, we'll try to get to some of those. Ted Turner, though, that's strong from our buddy Mark Childress. Speaking of Mark Childress, did you get a chance to see Clemson's greatest games this past weekend? I, I, I know people were hitting me up on Twitter. They're like, I couldn't find it in my guide, Swanee. Well, the good news is we are making sure by you know retweeting and copying anything that Mark puts out there that you know when and where you can find it. It was on my guide. I actually uh, did get a chance to record it and watched it. And even last night I was sitting around thinking, ooh, I could go back and watch it again. Because, you know, I, I, I kind of joke from time to time about ClemsonSportsTalk.com and our website. And I, I tell you, look, it's not a Wix site. It's not. It's not a WordPress site. It's not. I mean, it is It is unbelievable the back end that supports this program and and – the website that we've got, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. If you hate typing, ClemsonRadio.com. I say all that to say to you that that this is not some little armchair uh, Rudy Pooh production that Mark Childress and these guys have, have thrown together. It is spectacular. And I mean, it it is as good as and, and borders on being you couldn't just you know you couldn't tell the difference if I ran that program side-by-side with something that was put together by ESPN, you know, their 30 for 30 series, et cetera. You couldn't tell the difference. You, As a matter of fact, I would make the argument that you wouldn't know. You would not know that this uh, is not something that's produced by ESPN. That's how good it is. And I hope you get a chance to watch it this weekend. Coming up, they'll have it'll be Lamar Jackson 
versus Deshaun Watson, that 2016 matchup under the lights, Death Valley. What a great night. And two, two, two quarterback titans going head-to-head, and Clemson winning by the thinnest of margins. It's Clemson's greatest games. 803-450-0086. That is our number. We're going to hit a quick break. We're going to come back with more from that book, Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger, as read by Dale Gilbert here on the show that shakes the Southland. Stay with us. It is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk Long Swan on a Wednesday. You know, we were celebrating Clemson through the eyes of the Tiger, that fantastic book here with you earlier in the week. And uh, we meant to pick it up yesterday, but didn't get around to it. So we will today. We've got such great reviews. John Zeke Wellborn was the number one Tiger in 1966 and 67. He's the tallest Tiger ever and has a BA in civil engineering from originally 96 South Carolina. Here are his stories and many more read by Dale Gilbert. Hollywood came to Winston-Salem, North Carolina for Wake Forest's 1964 homecoming game against Clemson, and I was the substitute Tiger. Wake Forest had a pregame parade on Saturday morning, and riding in a Mercedes-Benz convertible was the legendary actress Jane Mansfield. If you've never heard of her, I suggest you Google her. She had the beauty of Marilyn Monroe, and it was only fitting for me to do a meet and greet. Well, this tiger did everything he could to get inside that convertible. However, she did everything she could to keep me out. As much as I would like to say I was sitting next to her as her leading man in the parade, well, the fairy tale with the beautiful actress never came to fruition. My attempt, though, has become a legendary story that is told on a regular basis during football season. Final score that day, Clemson 21, Wake Forest 2. In 1966, I dressed before the football games in the newly renamed Fike or Clemson Fieldhouse and signed autographs as I walked toward Memorial Stadium. The Tigers were the defending ACC champions. Excitement was high on campus as the Tigers opened the season with a 40-35 win over the Virginia Cavaliers. Even more exciting was when the student body tried to pass my 6-foot, 8-inch frame up the stands during the season. Week 2 of the football season saw the Tigers head to Atlanta to play Georgia Tech. Coach Howard was a huge figure on campus, and getting to be near him was pure pleasure. Prior to the game, I had the opportunity to listen to his pregame speech to the team. It was legendary, just like our head coach. However, as motivational and funny as it was, the censors won't let me write about it. Catch up with me in Greenwood if you want to hear the story. The Tigers lost to the nationally ranked Yellow Jackets on that Saturday. At year's end, the Tigers had leaped over the Jackets in the conference standings to win their second consecutive ACC championship. Final score that day was number 9, Georgia Tech 13, and Clemson 12. Once again, it's sad to announce the passing of another Tiger. Robert Possum Harris was the number one Tiger during the 1967-68 academic year. Possum earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Civil Engineering in 1968 and a Master of Business Administration degree in 1986 from the University of Richmond. His hometown, Atlanta. Here is Possum's story prior to his passing in 2016. My first game in the suit was in 1967 when the Tigers hosted Wake Forest. John Inslin, a cheerleader, helped me get up on the crossbar of the goalpost. There I was, standing proud in front of 36,000 fans, when whap, zing, someone hit me in the leg with a rock. Well, I didn't last very long up there after getting hit. 
I got down and prowled the sidelines for the rest of the game as the Tigers won their fourth consecutive home opener, final score in Clemson 23, Wake Forest 6. From 1954 to 1972, Clemson had a student dress up and be known as the country gentleman. Butch Roach was the country gentleman in 1967. He carried a cane and pushed around a cannon with 10-gauge shells. I told Butch that even though the cannon fired blank shells, it could still be dangerous if pointed at someone. I was standing next to Butch for the opening kickoff to the game, and that was a huge mistake. He shot me in the rear. I felt the combustion of the air hitting my suit, plus I couldn't hear for two days. It was the last time I stood next to or in front of Butch and that cannon. In week two, we were playing Georgia in Death Valley. I had gone to Athens High School in Athens, Georgia, so I was psyched for this game. During halftime, as I looked out at the University of Georgia band, I saw one of my high school girlfriends waving a flag. Well, I slowly crept up on her, grabbed her, and laid her back in a big embrace. You know that same embrace that you saw growing up watching our military returning home to a hero's welcome in Times Square in the 1940s? Yeah, it was one of those. Well, she nearly killed me with a flagpole. <laughs> but it was worth it. Final score in number 5, Georgia 24, Clemson 17. During the year, Goody Thomas of Rock Hill provided a car for the cheerleaders to use during the team's entrance, similar to the car used at Georgia Tech today. Goody's son, Craig, or better known as Zero, was a member of the freshman cheerleading squad. On this hot afternoon, I was on top of the car with my elbows resting on the crossbar of the goalpost. Well, a few seconds later, the cannon fired and the car shot out from under me. I was left hanging for the next few minutes until all of the players had passed under me. My buddies, including Jimmy Addison, the star quarterback, tugged on my tail for good luck. Addison had been named the National Player of the Week for his performance in a 40-35 win over Virginia the previous year. Later that afternoon, I walked off the field having signed more autographs than Addison. Going into the fourth game of the season, we were 1-2 and two and playing at Auburn where they had a live eagle as a mascot. Their handlers asked that I hold the war eagle for a photo. Well, I couldn't act afraid with that big bird on my arm, but I tell you, I was scared to death. At day's end, it was our third consecutive loss. Final score that day, Auburn 43, Clemson 21. It was the seventh game of the season, and we were undefeated in conference play with a 2-0 record. We were at Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And the dumbest thing I ever did was about to happen. Like any other male, Hill, North Carolina. And the dumbest thing I ever did was about to happen. Like any other male, I always tried to impress the ladies, especially from another school. I started talking to a female North Carolina cheerleader. The next thing I knew, I was standing there minus the tiger head. She had tossed it into the North Carolina stands. Well, what could my fellow cheerleaders and I do to get the head back? The answer was simple. We kidnapped their mascot, a live goat. And a couple of minutes later, we met at midfield and made the trade. And that was the last time I ever let anyone hold the head. Final score, Clemson 17, North Carolina nothing. It was a tradition for us to go over and meet the other team's cheerleaders. This game was at home against North Carolina State. I carried a toilet plunger, and my tail had a weight in it, which caused it to fly up between my legs when I ran too hard. The wolf, Mr. Wolf, came up to me with his New Jersey accent and told me he knew karate. I told him that if he tried to karate me, I'd hit him with my plunger. At halftime, some North Carolina State fans ran onto the field with a big banner that was derogatory towards Clemson. It was high school senior day, and the boys in their best Sunday suits were allowed to sit down on the field. I hollered, we ain't going to take that. Get them! And the bleachers emptied. I caught Mr. Wolf out of the corner of my eye coming towards me. 
A high school player got to him first and hit him right below the knees to flip him in the air. He got up on all fours in time for the country gentleman to hit him in the snout, knocking his head off. Two more blows to the back of his real head with the country gentleman's cane, and the confrontation was over. Final score, Clemson 14, number 10th ranked North Carolina State, 6. Being the Tiger was dangerous back in the old days. Regardless, I hope the rest of my fellow mascots had as good a time as I did. I still get introduced as the Clemson Tiger, and everybody thinks it was a great honor. I don't tell them any different. Again, that's Dale Gilbert reading Clemson through the eyes of the Tiger. we got a few more of those coming up for you. Stay with us. Here, sharing stories from Clemson through the eyes of the Tiger. We dive back into it, read by Dale Gilbert. This is the story of Bob Dodson. He was the number one Tiger in the year 68 and 69. Has a BS in construction science in 1971. Is originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Here's Bob's story. We all talk about how hot it is wearing the suit. After your first appearance, you look for ways to stay cool. There were no dry-fit clothes that the students wear today to absorb your sweat back then. There was no cooling system under the headgear, nothing. My solution, like other tigers, was to remove my t-shirt and gym shorts, leaving just my skivvies on. Tuscaloosa, Alabama is the home of the University of Alabama. They're very proud of their marching band. As the band took the field, the announcer in loud boxing match style of cadence announced, And now, ladies and gentlemen, the University of Alabama's million-dollar Crimson Tide marching band which of course was greeted with a standing ovation and cheering from the capacity crowd. Anyway, their band was huge. When they finally got onto the field for their halftime performance, I was watching and it struck me that they might need some help. Understand that like all of the cheerleading squad, I had indulged in a few adult beverages prior to the game. I had gotten into the habit of carrying around on the field my bathroom plunger. Yeah, that stick with the rubber thing on the end that used to unclog drains. Well, I decided to take the field with the band, plunger in hand, and proceeded to weave myself in and out of their formations a few times, directing the cadence with my bathroom plunger held high. Well, I'm not sure, but I think there were a few boos from the stands. But I didn't stay long, so it was probably not about me, although I thought at the time that my performance enhanced their halftime precision. Anyway, the following Monday, I was asked to visit the dean of men's office. He told me that the president of the University of Alabama had given him a call and reported that I had disrupted their halftime performance. I was told that when we traveled, the tiger was a symbol of the university and that the university expected such to behave with courtesy, dignity, and respect, and that I was to conduct myself like a fine Clemson gentleman. I thought that's what I did. But since the admonition was coupled with a threat of expulsion from the school, I pulled my forelock, apologized, bowed, and said it would never happen again. Final score that day was Alabama 21, Clemson 14. In 1967, Mr. Wolf, the North Carolina State mascot, was at the center of the field at Clemson. I think before the game, but it might have been at halftime. Well, he had his back to the Clemson sideline. 
a large number of Clemson students leaped the wall and attacked Mr. Wolf from behind, throwing him to the ground and tearing his tail. When the next year was upon us, I heard rumors that when the Tiger got to North Carolina State, the State fans were going to get their revenge. On the way to the game, a supporter of North Carolina State tried to wrestle the Tiger head from me. A struggle ensued, and I ended up punching the guy to the ground. I was surprised that no complaint was lodged. That's the first, someone not complaining about what a mascot had done. I tried to stay as close to the team as possible that day. Prior to the game, the television announcers were introducing the players who were running to the camera, stopping, being announced, and then running off. The players ran to the camera from a position under one of the goalposts. Next, you see Mr. Wolf begin to climb the goalpost and stand on the crossbar. The head cheerleader for our squad saw him climbing and grabbed me and said, Hey, you can't let Mr. Wolf outdo the tiger. So up I went. I wasn't sure at the time how high that crossbar was, but it was not easy to shimmy up that pole in a tiger outfit. As I tried to climb, Mr. Wolf got to the crossbar first and began shaking the goalpost. He nearly shook me free from my grasp a number of times as I climbed, so that made the climb that much higher and harder. By the time I got upright on the crossbar, if I could have walked across it to the other side, Mr. Wolf would have gotten another thrashing. Anyway, the television cameras got the player's introduction with mascots in the background. Final score that day, Clemson 24, North Carolina State 19. Doug Pridgen was the freshman Tiger during the 1968-69 academic year. Doug earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in sociology in 1972 from Wofford College. His hometown, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Here is his story. The freshman football team played their games on Thursdays in Memorial Stadium with less than 10,000 people in attendance. The exception was the one time we played Duke in the rain at the current historic Riggs Field, Dr. I.M. Ibrahim's soccer stadium. The pep rallies on Friday nights prior to Saturday's football games ended with the male cheerleaders and me as the Tiger getting thrown into the library pool if the freshman students, known as rats, could catch us. One pep rally grew into a panty raid and a rat riot with dumpsters in downtown Clemson being lit on fire. City and campus police had to come and break it up. Meanwhile, freshman male students were climbing up on the ledges of Manning Hall to begin their panty raid. Not to be outdone, the freshman girls reciprocated by holding a jockstrap raid on the Ten Cans, Johnstone Hall Dormitory, shortly thereafter. Some of the games lacked action, giving us not enough to cheer about, so we persuaded the cannoneer to shoot the cannon after a good tackle. It quickly ended with a severe tongue lashing by the coaches and the referees. Although I finished my education at Wofford College, Clemson and being the freshman Tiger will always hold a special place in my heart. Go Tigers! So there you have it, a couple of looks at Clemson through the eyes of the Tiger here in hour number one. We've got one final Tiger we'll get to in hour number two. Uh, that's Sam Coker. He had a BS in forestry uh, in 1972, but he was the final Tiger of the 1960s. So we'll get to that story for you a little bit later in the program. 803-450-0086. That is your number. You can text us. You can call us. You can be a part of the program anytime, anyplace, anywhere on ClemsonSportsTalk.com. And we broadcast live on Facebook. YouTube, Twitter, and then on the iHeartRadio app. Not only 
from 4 until 6 o'clock on Fox Sports Radio 1400. But you can hear it again from 6 until 8 o'clock on Sports Radio 100.1 The Fan in Florence and 920 AM The Fan in Manning. So those stories are always amazing and so much fun to get into. And and again, I, I think one of the things I enjoy the most about it is hearing Dale Gilbert. I mean, Dale's voice takes me uh, into Tigertown, gets me fired up and ready to go about the college football season. So uh, a look back again, the book, you need to go get it. Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. Our good friend John Cicada shared the story of the memories uh, with us several months ago or week or, or several uh, weeks ago, and uh, we're trying to run some of those for you here on the show. Stay with us. Clemson Sports Talk on a Wednesday afternoon. Lawton Swan at Clemson Sports on Twitter. Okay, I've been checking through, picking up some of the information that people have been putting in. It does kind of frustrate me a little bit for whatever reason. I don't get everybody's messages. That's a, that's a bit of a, that's a pain, but it is what it is. I'll tell you what I have been excited about today. I don't know if you noticed, but the new, if you're watching, uh, the new swing arm, ooh, stabilized microphone, I dig it. Because for the past, however long we've been doing this thing from home since March, it like squat down and lean in. Now I can sit back, relax, and let my hair flow if I need to. All right, so uh, here's one that came to us from the Clemson Dude. Uh, He's at all in underscore dude on Twitter. He said, Mike Tolbert, the uh, the former Carolina Panther fullback, he said, and then, of course, I'm the second most famous person. Woo! <laughs> Go Tigers. Uh, all in, 15-0. Yeah, my wife actually did some work back in the day for Mike Tolbert's uh, golfing uh, v- event that he had um, going on to, you know, it was like one of those charity fundraising type events. But that's a that's a good one. Hopefully, we'll hear from Ben Upton. He's the guy. Uh, at 11.7 Podcast, who came up with this topic originally. and He had some great responses from people. I'll try to get to some of those uh, in just a little bit. My buddy T, checking out the program, says Donnie Shell. Now, I had to, I know Art Shell. I had to do some research about Donnie Shell out of the Whitmire area. Donnie Shell, apparently a four-time Super Bowl champ, played in the NFL from uh, 1974. To 1987, winning Super Bowl 9, 10, 13, and 14 with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I believe Lynn Swan, no relation, also was uh, on that uh, Super those Super Bowl teams as well. I will tell you there was a the funny thing about Lynn Swan and, and myself, obviously both L Swan, etc. But I was on the phone with a guy one time, and he said to me, he said, he said. Um, Swan's my last name. And I was like, uh, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My uh, you know, my Uncle Lynn played in the NFL. I'm like, yeah, your Uncle Lynn, as if that's not a, a big deal. You know, but I guess if he's your uncle, it just kind of just kind of goes with it. But sure enough, uh, that guy, he was like, man, we're having a family. He's like, man, we're having a family cruise. And I was like, really? He's like, you should come. That would have been outstanding. What's up, fam? How's everybody doing? I would have had a blast. But, yeah, I get a lot of comparisons uh, to the conversations about Lynn Swan. I always say that's the only jersey I would wear. That's the only jersey I would wear um, is the Swanee jersey with the swan on the back. Because I'm just not a jersey. I'm, uh, I don't know. I see some guys wearing jerseys. It's not me. It's not my style. But 
Uh, I did get a, a chuckle on that phone call. He, me and the, the guy, we had a we kind of had a blast talking about it all. And uh, I forget he was out in the Midwest. This guy was living at the time. I think he said that he was in um, Missouri, not Linswan, but uh, this this nephew of his was living in Missouri at the time. And, and so we just kind of connected and talked and had a great conversation. Uh, it was really really awesome. But yeah, not not exactly. Um, not exactly a uh, a name that a lot of people would not know from uh, his time at the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Trying to see uh, some other names. I, I did see a couple more on Facebook. Let me get over to those here. But again, who is the, the most famous graduate from your high school? And, and again, it doesn't have to be a sports-related thing, but because it's a sports show, we tend to uh, lean that way uh, to a degree. But... Um, Mary says, let's see, Pokey, uh, Pokey Reese, Richard Seymour, David Patton, and JoJo English um, would be the guys. And, of course, those are all players from Lower Richland High School locally. They have a lot of talent coming out of Lower Richland. You know, I mentioned my hometown earlier. I'll tell you a name that uh, I, I guess maybe he was credited with being from my hometown, but um, but he didn't play. Uh, at my hometown in high school was the former New England Patriots wide receiver Troy Brown. Troy Brown is often credited by some people from being from Barnwell, South Carolina, I guess because he was born in the hospital at Barnwell, but played football at Blackville High School, went on to play at Marshall, was the eighth-round selection, was an eighth-round selection in the uh, 1993 NFL draft, had a really good career, from 93 to 2007 with, uh, I think that he played his entire career with New England. Yeah, he did. He played his entire career, three-time Super Bowl champion. So, I mean, for my county, that might be the biggest name. That Outside of James Brown, and again, James Brown was just sort of born in my, my, my county, uh, that would be probably the, the biggest sports name would be Troy Brown, I, I think, for sure. Uh, looking at Troy Brown's numbers, uh, the thing I remember the most, he's one of, uh, he was named New England's uh, 50th anniversary team. He was named one of the New England Patriots Hall of Famers, but he was a guy that did it both on offense and defense uh, occasionally in his career whenever whenever really needed. He was a return specialist, played a little you know, cornerback. Uh, Brown attended Blackville Hilda High School. Uh, he was, a cur- a- according to his Wikipedia page, he was discouraged from playing football as he was thought too small, being just 5'6 and 135 pounds. And ends up you know, playing many, many years in the NFL and being a very good wide receiver uh, with a, I, I would call it a very good professional career. Uh, anytime you, you know, win the title and, and sit at the top of the, the sport of your choice and you are a part of that, it's a it's significant because a lot of great players never, never win that Super Bowl, and so here's a guy from you know, my area that I you know honestly I don't remember Troy Brown in high school, which is kind of odd because it's not like we have a huge age gap between the two of us, but I, I truly don't remember him uh, in high school at Blackville, even though they played my high school every year. Uh, during that time, and and looking at his 
you know, he would have been a part of some really, really good uh, Blackville High School football teams too. Just kind of taking a look at his age, coming out of high school around eighty nine ish, um, but but at that point, I mean, Barnwell was, you know, eighty seven and eighty eight. They were the state champs, so a different level, two A and one A. But I mean, there were some good good matchups going on for sure. I just don't remember Troy Brown specifically playing at Blackville, but he's. Probably in terms of our county, yeah, the biggest, probably the biggest, biggest professional sports name uh, that I could think of. Our number two of the show that shakes the Southland coming up here on Clemson Sports Talk. We'll hit a quick break and we will return uh, with more for you out of Tiger Town. Stay with us. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Just call me Swanee. Hour number two. That's drive time right here on the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan, hanging out with you along for the ride, having a good time. Uh, hearing from you about some of the, the great athletes or even most famous people that have graduated from your schools. And, and the best way I'm finding now to get this to me is to text 803 450 0086. 803-450-0086. Here's why. Because I went through and I saw several people messaging me uh, in other forums and stuff. And for whatever reason, I don't know, uh, some of that stuff was not uh, coming through. Now, uh, one of our listeners, Henry Guess, you might could argue, maybe one of the best athletes to ever come out of Edisto High School, uh, who still works with the Clemson program, agrees Shelly Hammonds would be uh, the biggest name to come out of Barnwell High School, at least from the athletic standpoint. I don't think there's an argument. By the way, Henry, man, I hope you're doing well. Appreciate you hanging out and chatting with us for a few minutes. But, yeah, I, I you know, back then it's amazing, too, I think, and, and a guy like Henry will attest to this, and when he and I have had chances to, to talk about these things, uh, it was just it was a different era because, really, at, at that time, the, the, the textile industry was still so big uh, in the smaller communities in our state. And once that started to dry up and perhaps go overseas, whether that be to China or whether that went to Mexico or wherever some of these jobs went, those communities, you know, kids like myself and others, a lot of them started leaving those communities and, and moving out. And so I don't, I don't know if it's the infrastructure, or some of the financial backing or, or whatever kind of kept those little smaller towns alive started to slip away to a degree. Now, I, I think the communities have stabilized, which is a, which is a positive. And I, I think that there's still this new, new normal that exists by comparison to what it was when, when I was there. But from that standpoint, I think you also lost part of your base of that next great generation of athletes too. Uh, to come through there for for some of these these communities, et cetera. So, I mean, that's something that 
you know, look, look, great players are still coming out and ending up at, at college programs all over the country. But the numbers of guys who were next-level talents in smaller towns where, like, I grew up seem to be diminishing to a degree. Doesn't mean there's not going to be, you know, the next LeBron James come out of my neck of the woods. Doesn't mean that the, the next Tom Brady is not going to come out of my neck of the woods. But the reality is that a lot of those people have moved into not necessarily metropolitan communities, but the so, sort of these suburbs of bigger metropolitan areas. Where, where I lived, it took you an hour to get to the Mall of Augusta. It took you an hour to get to the Mall in Columbia. When, when the Aiken Mall came, oh, hey, that's only 45 minutes. So most of these people have moved to Aiken. They've moved to Lexington. They, a, lot, a lot of people have left some of those smaller communities because some of those small towns don't have hospitals. I mean, there's just different things that have driven people out, the jobs, uh, et cetera. But, yeah, I mean, there have been, there've been some really good players that, that came through uh, those, you know, what, what when I was growing up was Region 6 AA. In, in high school athletics in the state of South Carolina. Some really good players came through there. But it's, this is just not about players either. I mean, this could be anybody uh, in any sport. Uh, Casey says that the, high, the, the head coach of the Denver Nuggets, uh, Mike Malone, came from her high school. So there we go. Uh, we got a text message here. Now, I got a sneaky feeling before I even read this. This this high school graduate just by the last name I'm going to assume here that this is going to come from the Macedonia area uh, the old Macedonia high school area haven't looked at it yet this is probably going to come from that area if you're not familiar Monk's Corner let's see what we got here Tamora I believe Prelo let's see okay no I'm wrong so I listen to your show every day. Graduated from um, Columbia High School. Miss America, Kimberly, Clarice Aiken, and Craig Melvin. All right, Craig Melvin, great answer here. By the way, Tamori, I hope I pronounced your name correct, and thank you for listening to the show. Um, Craig Melvin and Craig Melvin's mom and my wife's mom at one point when, when they were children worked together. And so when we would see Craig Melvin out, we would – you know, there, there was a little bit of a connection there. Now, I think at the time, Craig Melvin wore glasses and, you know, maybe wasn't nearly as, as uh, you know, NBC polished as he is now in terms of his look. <laughs> but, but, yeah, my wife has great memories there. Craig Melvin's a Walford graduate and was uh, either a roommate or lived across the hall from a guy that I knew uh, through a buddy. Now, the Prelo name I bring up there, uh, and, and I'm assuming that's how you pronounce your last name, it reminds me back to Pearson Prelo from the from that Macedonia area, which if you're going to talk about a high school and the, the big names that went to your high school, when we played Macedonia High School in basketball, when I was in high school back in 1994, 1995, uh, they had, oh, uh, you know, a guy on the team named Courtney Brown. You might remember him. He was the number one overall uh, draft pick by the Cleveland Browns. He played his college football at Penn State. He was an absolute monster uh, on the gridiron in college, kind of fizzled out in the NFL. Maybe some people still label him one of the biggest busts in the history of the NFL. But uh, he was on that basketball team. There was also a kid, I think, named Courtney 
No. Something Rice. I can't remember the Rice kid's name. Uh, but the other one you might know, named Joe Hamilton. Joe Hamilton, former quarterback at, at, at Georgia Tech, who was putting up Heisman-like numbers uh, during his time playing for the Yellow Jackets and was really, when you look at Woodrow Dantzler being a quote-unquote dual-threat quarterback, man, the dude over at Georgia Tech about the same time, uh, Joe Hamilton was pretty sick himself. So, yeah, there's a there, there's a lot of those. And, and, you know, the other thing that that, that kind of brings me back to, and this is no offense to larger high schools and, and things of that nature, but simply the fact that we're we're talking about uh, for for those individuals you know smaller smaller towns smaller schools and and that's that was you know one of the more impressive things about it i i think during the the 90s when i was growing up is that those guys were doing it and they were coming out of small communities but you know i wonder if we started to go through and think about you know, I mentioned Mookie Wilson from Bamberg. Well, his son Preston, you know, didn't go to Clemson. Ended up going uh, and playing professionally right out of high school. Uh, we've talked about in the past here about how good Bamberg was in in baseball back in the day, and yeah, those guys were unbelievable. And when when you got somebody like that that goes to your high school, as I said, now are number one, there could be some impact. What they give back to the the program, whether you know whether they give back to the school wholeheartedly or whether they just give back to the program that they were part of, the baseball program. Maybe they buy all the uniforms. Maybe they do this. Maybe do that. You you, you really can't quantify. You can't tabulate how valuable that can be. And and I'm sure not every one of these guys feels compelled to give back. And if you're a guy like Courtney Brown or a guy like Joe Hamilton, and you end up having uh, the the financial wherewithal to be able to maybe help out in your community, but now your high school doesn't even exist. I mean, what what do you you know who are you giving back to there? I mean, that's another side of that conversation that I think you know has to be uh, out there. And you know, when you talk about giving back and and doing the right things, I, I go back to what we talked about yesterday uh, with the comments that head coach Dabo Sweeney said. Uh, even though he had been criticized by uh, some members of the media, including Paul Feinbaum, who has since walked back his comments, Dan Wolken, who has since walked back and said, well, we, we didn't say Dabo Sweeney was you know, a racist or, or whatever the, the narrative was, was trying to be. You know, Dabo Sweeney pointed out about the culture at Clemson and talking about the goals of the program and, and, and how he saw what Clemson football could be creating generational, you know, change. And, you know, they met yesterday and Clemson football put out a tweet that said, this is a historic time. And it absolutely is. He said, and and we will do our part to create positive change. And I said, I see this change coming already. And I think the toughest part of this, again, for a lot of people, but it's okay, get get comfortable being uncomfortable, is that sometimes you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I haven't done enough. But you are beginning to see the, 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 the fostering of the growth, especially empowering the young student athletes out there 
at the collegiate level. And uh, they said, Tuesday night we gathered to speak and to listen. And that's what I've said is key, listening. Like, everybody wants to talk. Everybody wants to talk, but a lot of people that love talking just need to be quiet and listen. So much value in it. And they, they gathered to speak and listen about racial injustice and to unify for lasting change. Not just, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about this today. Lasting change. But hearing those individuals backtrack a bit on their conversations about Dabo Sweeney was, was big for me. Because I've acknowledged that when you open up the mic, you're not always going to hit the mark. And when you do a two-hour daily radio show, you don't always hit the mark. And it's, it's, it would be great. You know, my, my show would be perfect if I had script writers who could just put it together and hand me the script and I just read it for two hours. That's not how this thing goes. So every once in a while I have something I want to say and I don't quite get there. But that's what we're trying to do. Trying to make you know, lasting change, get you thinking about what can be done and reflecting, but Dabo Sweeney calling it a player relations program, not a football program. Investing in the, the Paul journey and establishing a program that builds these young men up, whether they are black, white, yellow, green, purple, blue, or violet, to be better, better sons, better brothers, better husbands, better fathers, better grandfathers, better people. It's not just about did you hoist a national championship. And when that becomes your, your goal, when that becomes the mission of your program, that's when you see Clemson shifting from where they were, just this other football team kind of fledgling along, trying to do their best to get back to the top, to now this power. That's where, and, and, and so when you're at that spot, man, people are going to take shots. And look, Gamecocks, you have your right to take shots at Clemson. It's part of your job. Florida State fans, you have the right to take shots at Clemson. It's part of your job, man. Your job is to try to knock the Tigers off of the pedestal where they sit today. You know, they've, they've fought their way up there. They're at the pinnacle. You know, they're at the peak of college football. It's your job to kind of try to knock them off. But... When you hear the things that are coming out of Clemson, when you see the things that Dabo Sweeney's saying, and then, again, we talked about the renaming of the Calhoun Honors College, which I have zero problem renaming that. Changed to 1981. And then if 1981, you couldn't have looked at it then and said, ooh, man, you know what? John C. Calhoun's got a, a history and a legacy that, that leads to what Clemson is today. But in 1981, I would think that we would have had the thought process to go, yeah, but that's probably not the, the best image we want to portray. But I know we've made strides since 81. And I think they will fix that issue. I think they will change that, honestly. I don't know about you know Tillman Hall and things of that nature because I know there's some litigation I mentioned yesterday. But from that standpoint, from the naming of the Honors College, I, I don't have a, a huge deal with that at all. But then you see... Nuke Hopkins today uh, tweeting out earlier about uh, Dabo Sweeney. And he said, one thing I do know, Coach Sweeney has never been a racist or had any ill will towards any player. 
best coach I've ever been around from a football perspective and personal perspective. He helped me become a man and grow from being a kid from Central South Carolina. That's gotten a lot of news today. Because when you hear some guys who maybe A, have an agenda, which I hate to think about. I hate to think that that could be the case. Or B, misconstrued what actually happened. I understand that does happen. But it's, it's tough when the things that are being misconstrued about you deal with the racial issues and overtones that Dabo Sweeney was being attacked to a degree. I'm going I'm to press pause and call it an attack, but being called out for that turned out that Dabo Sweeney didn't say this, that Danny Pierman didn't call someone that. That's where this, and this is why I've said it is, it is dangerous to believe everything you see, read, and hear without vetting and looking deeper. Dabo Sweeney said Clemson is just a football program. He's wrong. It is not. It is bigger than that. It's bigger than that to the graduates of the school. It's bigger than that uh, to the fans. And really, it's bigger than that to society because they do have a platform. And he is just a football coach, yes, but he's got a bigger platform and should be more vocal. And so it's pretty incredible uh, the changes that we are seeing unfold before us. This news just coming out moment, moments ago. NASCAR says it will prohibit the display of the Confederate flag at its events and properties. NASCAR put out a statement that said, The presence of the Confederate flag at NASCAR events runs contrary to our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for all our fans, our competitors, and our industry. Bringing people together around a love for racing and the community that it creates is what makes our fans and sports special. The display of the Confederate flag will be prohibited from all NASCAR events and properties. I will be interested to see what they say about people wearing like a shirt with the Confederate flag on it. That'll be another sidebar of this that maybe is out there that I don't know about yet, but I'll, I'll try to look into it. I'll say this. For anybody who was, you know, when, when Colin Kaepernick and those guys were kneeling to bring awareness for the Black Lives Matter movement and the racial and social injustices that, that they saw from their standpoint of their lives through their lens that many of us have not lived through. People said, hey, that's disrespectful to the American flag. That was the conversation that people had. I hope those same people understand how the Confederate flag can be seen as disrespectful to the American flag. I think it's a, a you know something of note. Certainly it's historical in terms of our country's history, but it's history. And that's why we have museums. Uh, the Confederate flag, to me, would be extremely offensive to the American flag. It was the country that fought against America. That might be a hot take for some people, but we have to see this from both sides. And that's a historical part of our country's, you know, history that is not always beautiful. 
We haven't always treated people the right way. We're working to get better every day. We got to have a windshield mentality. We can't be better yesterday. And so we got to move forward. And the sooner we can move forward as one race, the human race, the better off we're all going to be. This is the greatest nation in the world. And it's time that we start acting like it and treating our peers like it. It's one of the most important things in my life that I've ever seen unfold what we're witnessing. It's powerful. 803-450-0086. Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan, hanging out with you on Twitter at Clemson Sports. That's Clemson News, notes, information, and more. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Your website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. Text the program, 803-450-0086. 803-450-0086. That's the way you can be a part of the program. Well, out in Southern Cal, you know, yesterday on our website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com, we had a feature article about C.J. Spiller talking about his conversations with Travis Etienne. And I don't know that there's really much of an argument to be made that those two guys aren't the top two running backs in in Clemson history. And we've actually got a poll question up. We've had it up for about a week or so now. Uh, A fan poll over on our website, who's the best running back in Clemson history? And and I will tell you, uh, of the names on that list, C.J. Spiller, Travis Etienne, Andre Ellington, James Davis, and Raymond Priester, Two of those guys didn't get a vote. CJ and Travis dominating. James Davis getting a a little share of the vote, but 76% of the votes went with Travis Etienne. Less than 20% went with CJ Spiller. So think about that. Think about what that means from the standpoint of Travis Etienne and where he stands in the mind's eye of Clemson Tiger fans. And you're talking about a kid that's Coming back for a senior year, he's the only 4,000-yard rusher in Clemson history, surpassing James Davis in that respect. And with the numbers that he could potentially put up this year, he could put himself, I mean, honestly, Travis Etienne could put himself in a category all on his own in terms of the statistics uh, at Clemson. I mean, even if you suggest a low number, like if you said, ah, you know what, Travis Etienne, minimal carries this year. Let's say he gets a a thousand yards, right? And let's talk. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's gotten seven hundred and sixty six as a freshman, sixteen hundred and fifty eight as a sophomore, sixteen hundred and fourteen last year. So even if you just suggest for a minute that he's going to have an underwhelming year for whatever reason, I mean, if you gave this guy. Uh, 1,000 yards rushing. You're talking about a, a young man who would put up over over 5,000 yards in his career. Right now, he's at 4,038. If you give him 1,000 yards, which I think is probably underselling significantly what he'll give you, 5,038 in his career. 
If you give him 1,500, which I think is reasonable, 5,538 total yards for a guy like Travis Etienne in his career. Now, when you run that number back to C.J. Spiller, who most people believe is the second best running back in Clemson history, that's 2,000 more yards in a career, and they both played for four years. That's what Travis Etienne has done on the gridiron. But when I was younger, watching college football, playing NCAA video games, I'm not sure that we ever saw a player that had more of the video game aspect uh, to his career than Reggie Bush at Southern Cal. I mean, Reggie Bush at Southern Cal was literally doing the things that you saw guys do on video games, but he was doing it on the field of play, both through the air, catching the ball, and also uh, running the ball. He carried the ball. Uh, just 433 times in his career for 3,169 yards, which is an average of 7.3 yards per carry uh, with 25 career touchdowns. Now, Travis Etienne has 56 career rushing touchdowns. Those were rushing touchdowns, by the way, for Reggie Bush. And Travis Etienne's 4,000 and some odd yards breaks down to an average per carry. 4,038 yards breaks down to an average per carry right now. It's about 7.8 yards per carry. So you're talking about significantly, significantly better than even a guy like Reggie Bush, given the number of carries that Travis Etienne has had in his career being greater but continuing to have larger a larger percentage. And as a matter of fact, every year that Travis Etienne has played at Clemson, he's averaged more yards per carry than Reggie Bush did in his career outside of Etienne's freshman year where he averaged 7.2, just a tenth of a yard off of, of, of Reggie Bush's freakishly unbelievable numbers, the Heisman Trophy winning Reggie Bush, the Heisman Trophy forfeiting Reggie Bush. But... Reggie Bush's name has been back in the news recently. I don't know if you've been following this storyline, but after 10 years, the Southern Cal running backs uh, disassociation from USC is expected to come to an end soon, according to reports. Uh, And the timing comes as a result of the NCAA's Committee on Infractions new rule adopted in 2017 that limits any mandated disassociation for no more than 10 years. So Bush, because of that 10-year window, will be... Uh, allowed to be a part of the Southern Cal program. I believe you know, will be uh, allowed to be a part of the Southern Cal program. I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, he worked a game with Fox Sports uh, during yeah back in September for Southern Cal's matchup with Utah because he was in a capacity of being an analyst and a broadcaster with Fox Sports. But now Bush could be on the sidelines for games, et cetera, uh, at Southern Cal. Now, remember what all came down from uh, the sanctions against him. They were really pretty incredible. Two-year postseason ban for the school. They had to vacate 14 victories, including the 2004 BCS National Championship game and the loss of 30 scholarships, excuse me, which began back in June of 2010. And so now that that tenure period is over, according uh, to the procedures, the NCAA will no longer monitor or enforce the disassociations and will give individual schools the freedom 
to decide how to proceed, uh, whether that's to extend the disassociation or to end it. So there's technically, I guess, according to this article, nothing official between Bush and Southern Cal, but uh, they are in the process of finalizing an agreement that would allow him to be reinstated with the program. So just a little segment to compare some of the numbers that Travis Etienne put up on the ground uh, to one of the most uh, digital-like, digital-esque, computer, video game-esque players I've ever seen in Reggie Bush and Etienne's numbers, especially in the ground game, uh, are tremendous by comparisons to Bush. And Bush was a heck of a ball player, but now has a chance to return to the sidelines at Southern Cal if they can work out a deal. But the 10-year disassociation window is now closed. Clemson Sports Talk. So we've reached the point here listening to Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. The final Tiger of the 1960s, Sam Coker, had a BS in forestry in 1972 from Clemson and was originally from Greenville. Here's his look at Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. There was a freshman and a varsity Tiger in the 1960s. I was the freshman mascot in 1967. I worked the freshman football games and assisted the varsity Tiger, Bob Possum Harris. He allowed me to work two pep rallies that year. The highlight of the year was being the varsity Tiger for a home game against Alabama and Coach Paul Bear Bryant. The game was held in Memorial Stadium in front of the largest crowd, 49,500 ever at that time in Death Valley. The Alabama quarterback was Ken Stabler, who later became known as the Snake. Final score, Alabama 13, Clemson 10. After several expansions in 1978 and 1983, Memorial Stadium's official attendance increased to 81,500. This mark has been exceeded more than 70 times with the largest crowd, 86,092, for Bowden Bowl 1 on October 23, 1999. What is interesting about the Memorial Stadium of today is that it's the 16th largest on-campus stadium in the country second only to Florida State's Duke Campbell Stadium, 82,300 in the ACC. Not bad for a community of approximately 14,000 residents. There's something in these hills to be able to fill the stadium on football Saturdays. Due to academic problems, I decided not to try out to be the Tiger the next year. After getting my academics back in order, I was back in the suit for the 1969 football season. One of my questions during the interview process of the tryout was how I would help with crowd control and keep events peaceful. My thought was, why do you need a mascot if you want everything to be peaceful? Mascots are motivators, playful characters who interact with and encourage the fans to make noise for their respective team. In the early years, it was interesting at games because visiting fans always wanted to remove my head or take my tail. Every football season has special memories. The game against Georgia Tech hadn't even started when I saw a Georgia Tech band member place a Clemson football in his tuba. I walked over to the tuba player, placed my arm inside his instrument, and retrieved our game ball. Later that day, the Tigers would get that elusive win on the road. It was Clemson's first win at Georgia Tech since 1945. Final score, Clemson 21, Georgia Tech 10. 
We did not know that the South Carolina game would be Coach Frank Howard's final game prior to his retirement. Coach Howard had prowled the Clemson sideline since 1940. His teams had 165 wins, including an undefeated 11-0 season in 1948, seven outright conference titles, one co-championship conference title, and six bowl trips. Near the end of the South Carolina game, the country gentleman, Jim Douglas, class of 1970, and I held up a sign at Carolina Stadium wishing South Carolina good luck in the Peach Bowl. In his post-game press conference, the then South Carolina head coach Paul Dietzel appreciated our act of good sportsmanship. Final score that day, South Carolina 27, Clemson 13. So there you go, Chapter 2, Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger, as read by Dale Gilbert. It is a really good book, folks. I'm telling you, just to, to hear so many of those wonderful stories recapped by the guys that were there behind the mask uh, moving forward, that was the 1960s. And again, uh, you can get that on tigersports.com. Uh, fortunately, uh, I got mine autographed by John Cicada, who was the orchestrator of getting that all. Put together. All right, so who's the most famous person from your high school? That's been our big topic of the day. Have a couple that have come to us here uh, in the, the last little bit. Uh, it looks like um, Gordon sent us a message, and you can too, 803-450-0086. Uh, Gordon said, General Stephen M. Twitty. I did not know uh, Stephen Twitty, who is from the uh, – I guess the Spartanburg area, or let's see, Chesney, Ch out of Chesney. He is a lieutenant general uh, who assumed command of the 1st Army uh, on July the 15th, 2016. Um, looking at you know his numbers, or I, I don't know what you call it, looking at his history and his rank, a uh, lieutenant colonel in the U.S. military. So thank you for bringing up uh, – Thank you for bringing up uh, General Twitty, uh, bringing him into this conversation. Fantastic uh, service member in the United States Army out of the Chesney area. So that was a good one to get to. I also had a message come to us about Clyde Mays, who is a name that I had never heard of before. Uh, trying to see where Clyde's name came to us from. We've had so many people message us. Jimmy said Clyde's, Clyde Mays or maybe Jane Rob, Roba, <laughs> how you pronounce it? Rob, uh, I forget how you say her name. No offense, Jane. I want to say Robolot. I think that's right. Uh, Jane was like CBS News for many years, and I think she was actually the co-host on Clemson's uh, National Championship Parade. I, I don't know why I can't say her name, though, Jimmy. That's all my. That's my bad. But Clyde Mays apparently uh, from Greenville played at Wade Hampton High School, and ended up playing basketball at Furman and was drafted in the 1975 uh, NBA draft by the Milwaukee Bucks. Played with the Bucks, Pacers, the Buffalo Braves, the Portland Trail Blazers before spending the uh, the rest of his career. He played from 75 to 1989, but ended up playing from about 1977 forward. Uh, overseas, but I did not know the name Clyde Mays. I'm glad we got Clyde's name out there. 6'8", 225 pounds. Uh, still alive, Clyde is 67. Now, if he was drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks uh, in the you know, 1975 time frame, he would have at least played, I think, maybe a year 
with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Of course, Lou Alcindor had since had changed his name at that point, uh, I believe, to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But I think Clyde Mays would have played at least a year there uh, with Jabbar and those guys. So that was a good one. Uh, that one came to us uh, from Jimmy over on Facebook. Thank you, Jimmy, for participating with us. Incredibly getting close here to the uh, final segment of the show today. We've talked a little uh, uh, talked a little college football from the standpoint of Travis Etienne versus a guy like Reggie Bush. And uh, I did notice on Twitter since we even had that conversation that Bush is, he seems like he's good to go with Southern Cal. So they've lifted all restrictions uh, on that front. And I'm telling you, he was as electric at running back as, as anybody I'd ever seen. And uh, to think about the fact that it's been 10 years since his disassociation with that university also makes me feel like I'm getting I'm getting pretty old. But he was a heck of a ball player back in the day. We hit a break. We come back. We put a bow on the show. Stay with us. What have you done for me lately? It's a fair question. Just don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Don't forget history. Lucky for us at Clemson, the answer to the questions, what have you done for me lately, and what have you done always, are the same. We win. segment on a Wednesday, the show that shakes the Southland, your website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. If I did not get your most famous person, that's okay. If you're listening to the podcast, great. Text us, 803-450-0086. We'd love to hear your most famous graduate from your high school. I know we sort of, it, it yielded towards talking about uh, your most famous, uh, your most famous sports athlete that can happen on a sports show, but I am very interested in uh, hearing you uh, tell us who's that person. Maybe maybe that person was in school when you were playing, or perhaps it was somebody that, or excuse me, maybe that person was playing while you were in school, or maybe that person played before or even after you. I would I would love to hear from some of you who went to high school with somebody, especially somebody from the standpoint of athletics who ended up being just a megastar. Like that would be cool. And and even if it's not megastar from the sense of oh yeah, he's the biggest name in his sport, but if you could bring to the table a conversation about growing up and and playing high school basketball with a guy like Dennis Rodman. Dude, I'd be all over that. I might even invite you on the show as a guest. (laughs) Let's talk about your memories of Dennis Rodman. We might have to really extend that thing out. But 
Uh, anybody that I didn't get to today, and again, I'm trying to scour some of those here briefly before we get out, but the show gets posted in so many places, and for whatever reason, it does not appear that I was getting all the responses, which is, um, what well, you say, the kids would say hashtag frustrating, uh, to say the least, but I am trying to look at them real quick, just taking another peek or two to see if I can find uh, any more responses to get to, because I know if you're taking the time to write, you certainly want us to uh, at least try to acknowledge you, and that's what we want to do here on the show. Uh, Again, Deshaun Watson, Nuke Hopkins. Uh, Yesterday, the conversation was about renaming the Clemson Honors College. Today, the conversation about Nuke Hopkins uh, coming out and saying, you know, how supportive he was of Dabo Sweeney, uh, how impactful uh, Dabo Sweeney was on uh, his you know career, et cetera. And you know, Dabo Sweeney wasn't a racist like what was trying to be portrayed by so many people. And, and, and again, I think this is part, part of the problem too. There's not a lot to talk about. There's not a lot of sports going on and people need views. They need clicks and they're going to try to, switch a narrative to be whatever they can uh, in order to, to get people to read and post and comment. I hope at least from the standpoint of our website, uh, you see that we try to avoid that kind of stuff at all costs. I mean, just, it's not worth it, but uh, Nuke Hopkins tweeting. One thing I do know about coach Sweeney he's never been a racist or had any ill will towards any player. Best coach I've ever been around from a football perspective and a personnel perspective or personal perspective, I guess. He said he helped me become a man and grow up being a kid from Central South Carolina. What will be interesting to see is moving forward, uh, even if the Calhoun Honors College isn't renamed, hearing those words from New Hopkins, will he shift back and, and say, you know, Clemson University during his. Uh, intros in the NFL. He doesn't have to. Matter of fact, you know, when we talk about these great players, uh, as we were mentioning earlier, uh, I would venture to guess that when those guys say you're high school, you're like, oh yeah, BHS baby. You know what I mean? Like you kind of get that that feeling. Like I, I I like it when a guy brings up his high school. I like it when a guy brings up the smaller community that wasn't uh, maybe quote unquote the catalyst to the NFL per se, but certainly the catalyst to the collegiate career. So I've always kind of liked it when a guy goes out there and, and says their local high school gives a little shout out because that, that I think that honestly, I think it means more because a lot of these schools, a lot of these colleges have a ton of players in the league. But when you start to break it down by high school, yeah, if you're shouting out, Daniel High School, that's a big deal. And it's a big deal for the kids at Daniel. It's a big deal for the community. I would argue much bigger than probably shouting, hey, I went to Clemson. Because that's going to be said during the game. They're going to say, oh, the receiver out of Clemson, South Carolina. They're not going to say the former DW Daniel Lion star. So, I mean, Clemson's going to get their, Clemson's going to get their time when Hopkins is on the field anyway, whether he acknowledges Clemson or not. But I still believe that acknowledging your high school is a pretty cool approach. I'd be hard-pressed not to, at least every once in a while. 
Lawton Swan, wide receiver, Barnwell High School. Go War Horses. Like, boom. Boom. Huh? Easy. Of course, Swan played his, high school, his college career at uh, Clemson. Thank you, uh, <laughs> whoever's on the call. Incredibly, two hours in the books. Again, thank you to Dale Gilbert for reading uh, Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. We had a lot of people reach out to us and say, man, I love those stories. So uh, we'll try to do those on Mondays. But And if we have to carry over, we will. But there you go. That was uh, Chapter 2 from Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. we got to get out of here. Two hours in the book. I love the new mic. I'm loving the show. Appreciate you being a part of it. Until tomorrow, as always, y'all take care now. And go, Tiger!